Welcome to the Appalachian Baptist Network. We seek to equip, encourage, and engage pastors and church leaders in the Appalachian region. We focus on having conversations on church revitalization in the mountains and beyond. Your hosts are Matthew Jacobs, Brent Snyder, Jacob Gwynn, and Travis Tyler. Welcome back to the Appalachian Baptist Network, and today we're going to talk about something that I know all of our listeners are losing sleep over. They're they are not sure what to do about it, and that is buckets full of berries, right, Neil? Neil joining me today is Neil. I, I I'm losing sleep all the time. We we just ran out of blueberries up here in beautiful Wisconsin, and and I'm always thinking about where are we going to get another bucket of berries. There we go. And that's actually what today's episode's all about. We're all about berry buckets, aren't we, Neil? So uh, I'm going to turn this over. And today, apparently when I sent the text out, some were sick, some other hosts were sick. Some of our hosts didn't know what the berry bucket theory was. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And so, Neil, we're going to let you do the the questioning and I guess I'll do the answering today. So I'm going to turn the reins over to you now. Well, and, and, and I'm going to go ahead and self-identify as one of the ones who was not familiar with the berry buckets and the theory behind that insofar as it relates to the church. And so why don't we start for those who are listening and, and are like me, kind of new to the theory, new to the idea, or at least they're new to the terms, but maybe not the idea. Travis, why don't you walk us through what the berry bucket theory is? How does it apply to churches? So this is a, this is a theory on uh, on how church growth works. So this came out of what we would call the church growth movement, which was begun by Donald McGavern years ago. If you'd like to do some background reading on this a little bit more, I would encourage you to pick up Carl George's book, Leading Management, Leading and Managing Your Church. I think you can pick that thing up for about nothing on Amazon. I think we'll put a link in here. I didn't come up with this theory, but I think it's an excellent descriptor. And so if you can, listeners, picture in your mind uh, like a seesaw, right? And so the seesaw just has two ends but it doesn't necessarily touch the ground. On each side, there are two buckets on opposite sides. Uh, I'll describe those. On my seesaw, there's actually four buckets, but we'll start out with the two, and then we'll talk about the other two. On one end, you have what we call the old berry bucket. And when a pastor first arrives, that is church members who have been at the church longer than he has. And then on the other side is a bucket that begins to develop as the pastor stays, and that is going to be the Newberry bucket. And those are going to be people who come into the church while he's there. So he has them by a little bit more tenure. Sometimes it might be a few months, but uh, he, he definitely uh, was there when they came and when they arrived. Uh, so first of all, any questions about those two buckets there? Now you see that kind of, and, it, and it's definitely when a pastor's early years is shifted towards the older, older berries bucket, you know. Well, you know, I do have some questions. I guess you keep going, though, because I want to wait and save them for uh, maybe the completion of your description. Because I, I guess part of what I want to ask is how important is it that we as pastors, we recognize those. But let's get through the description before we get to that question yeah. um, and, and kind of go from there. So keep now the, going. Now, the way I was taught this, and, and I think this is, is pretty helpful, because as pastors, we deal in multi-generational churches. So you're dealing with, you know, when I first got in ministry, we were dealing with the builder generation, the silent generation. Uh, we were dealing with um, the baby boomers, the Gen Xers, 
and then the millennials were the young ones. Uh, and so now, you know, that shifted a little bit. We got Gen Z or Homelanders and then all the way back, the builders are just about gone at this point, you know, in ministry. So the descriptor that was given to me was you can almost think about it not only as those who predate you, but those who are older than and younger than you. So it, you could break both buckets out into two other buckets. On the right side, you've got older members who have been at the church longer than you in the in the far, you know, far teeter-totter side there. And then one in are members of the church who are younger than you, but have a longer tenure in the church than you do. So you may be able to more easily, you know, have influence over them, but uh, you can't necessarily um, swage them either way. But on the Newberry side, I would say this. You can split that bucket into older members, members that are older than you, but have come under your ministry. That bucket's going to sit closer to the fulcrum point, you know, where the teeter-totter turns back and forth. And then the very far bucket is going to be those who are your age or younger. And so that's kind of the setup there. It's based on age and based on tenure. So um, those on the, you know, I don't want to paint this like uh, the pastor is against any of these buckets because I'm, I'm going to be very honest in every church that I have served. Some of my very best friends have come out of the old berry bucket. And so it's not like a pastor is going to go in and be angry and mad and always against them but you've got to understand something. There is a level of respect that the older berries are going to expect, whether that is, uh, you know, you're trying to kind of figure out as a pastor what their unwritten rules are, what the tribal knowledge is, because you're trying to figure out things that aren't there. And the reality is there are some who are going to view you in that bucket, the old berry buckets, as more of a chaplain than they will a pastor. They're not necessarily bought into your leadership. They see you as there for a job with a function and a role. They're not all like that, but there are some that are like that. And this this can set up a recipe for conflict. So um, so anyway, does that make clear? Is that pretty clear there on how, how that works? And one question I have for you, and I, I don't necessarily have an answer to this um, So I, in mind, but do you think, do you think that that, and I don't know when you first encountered kind of this theory and, and this perspective on, on church structure, but you and I, we were trained in the early 2000s. We entered into ministry and our, our churches still had quite a few older generations. Well, now we're looking at the reality that you and I are, are in the middle age. Um, and, and in some ways, some of like, like pushing to the older side of the church age group. Do you think this has changed at all? given the different demographics or generations, and you mentioned some of those earlier, is it, has it stayed the same? I mean, different players in the game, but, but same, same overall description, or do you think somehow these younger, you are not younger anymore. These newer generations have changed how some of these dynamics play out. Well, I think we're going to continue to see a shift. I think millennials will eventually outnumber baby boomers just because of the natural process of life. You know, the baby boomers have, started in the retirement process at this point many of you know we might even be halfway through the baby boomers retiring um i i think the dynamics of the age shift that's coming and this is probably a, a podcast for a different day but i'm predicting a pastor shortage in the future once all the baby boomers have retired out uh, i don't think there's going to be enough trained ministers to take the position we're already seeing that on a youth pastor level right now i've been checking the sbc website 
on a regular basis, not because I dream of exiting or anything, just because I'm curious about this topic. And for a friend? Uh, yeah, for a friend. I know a guy. So um, three months ago, and, and part of this is the p- pandemic pressure. You know, people are, are still angry about the pandemic and the election and taking it out on pastors. And, you know, it's hard. And uh, there were 360 full-time positions that were open in the SBC. I checked it today. There were 495. So that number keeps going up in, in recent months. Uh, and I'm not sure. So, you know, the pressures are real. And, and so this, this berry bucket theory is a way of describing the pressure that's put on a pastor. Um, a lot of times the older berry buckets are going to be like, we were the ones who were here when you came, we will be here when you leave. They are the people who have the most invested in the church as far as they've given the most. They have spent the most time at the church. They have spent the most time with the people that are there. And so, you know, they, in other words, they've got the most skin in the game. And so, you know, I, I don't think we need to view them as enemies as pastors, but I think we need to try to take time and listen to them. And, and sometimes, I mean, I, I'm going to be honest, and there's going to be some people who are going to listen to this podcast, and they're not going to like what I'm about to say, but there's going to be some things you're going to do. You're going to kind of have to ask for permission in some ways, you know what I mean? Because you just can't go in guns a-blazing year one or two and expect everybody to be on board with everything you're doing. You know, you've got to, you've got to make relationship investments. You've got to ask permission. You've got to be, you've got to, you know, you've got to be a leader. Uh, Don't underestimate what a breakfast or a lunch or a phone call or a a note will do for folks in that category, because they do want to know that you love them. And, uh, but, you know, remember what they're committed to, and a leader is not always the same things that the people on the other side are committed to. So, you know, the people on the other side are probably more committed to leadership than they are chaplainship. And so this is where the tension and the pressure comes for a pastor. Well, and, and, and you're, you're starting to touch on what I was going to ask next. And I, I was just going to add to that. So, so I remember one of the first things I, I saw along these dynamics as a youth pastor in my previous church was, you know, we often think of, of these different berries as, as being all about the old people. And I, and I can remember that I, I entered into that, that phase of my ministry as always thinking, well, it's the older people that tend to struggle with change, not the younger people. Well, in my youth ministry, I found that, that my students were as likely to panic at, at the, the idea of change or if things were, were moving in a different direction as, as any old people I've ever known in the church. So it isn't just an, an age thing. In, in terms of only older people in a church family struggle with this. I think anytime you've I been agree. entrenched in a community, you, you sort of get used to what is, and it becomes very hard to adjust to different. And, and so, but the thing, same thing I wanted to ask, and we started to ask this a little bit ago, but you, you've started to touch on it. Why is it so important for, for the pastor entering into a church? Why do they have to be aware of these dynamics? What, why can't they just enter in? I, I think sometimes it's like when we're premarital counseling, you know, love is going to solve everything in premarital counseling. Right. And then you say the ideal dues and it's all different. Right. And, and so, so what, why is it so important? We're aware of these dynamics and have, have an idea of them before we, we step on, you know, step or as we step into the ground, onto the ground as a pastor in a new church. I think having a grasp on this is going to help you to see the coming conflict because the reality is as a church leader, it's not a question of if we're going to have conflict in our churches. It's a question of when, 
And so what the berry bucket theory does for us is it gives us an indicator. Now, the berry bucket theory doesn't fix anything. The berry bucket theory doesn't uh, necessarily provide a lot of solutions, but it is helpful in navigating the tension and being prepared for it when it comes. Uh, we can predict when the highest amount of conflict is going to come into a church when the seesaw becomes level. When, in other words, there's just about as many new berries on the new berry side as there are old berries on the old berry side. And now people are going to have to make a decision. Are they going to be on board with where the church is going and, and the leadership that is there? Or are they going to try to run the new people off and the pastor? Or are they going to leave the church? And the, the seesaw is not going to remain at a level point. It's either going to tip towards the new berries or it's going to tip towards the old berries. And that's the point we find the highest com conflict. So the, the berry bucket theory, go ahead. So can I jump in with a question um, that, that what you just said made me think of is, is we aren't necessarily then talking about conflict that happens immediately as you enter into a church. Like in some sense, you may have conflict, but it's not the tension you're talking in the berry bucket theory. This is going to be conflict that comes, what, what would you say, three to five to eight years into a ministry? Yeah. When are you going to run into these types of balance conflicts you're describing? Well, when I think the berry bucket, you know, if the pastor's doing his job and it's not a completely, you know, low populated area, you know, there's some places where, population is dwindling like at one field one point bluefield west virginia was one of those towns that was losing people and i know there are, there's a lot of t areas in california and places like that that are seeing a drop in people st louis missouri was on a loss of people at one point when i checked it but i'm not sure where they are now as people have been moving around um i think you're looking at conflict anywhere you know this is going to be well after the honeymoon period you know at first, any in any relationship, everything's good. You're probably looking at your year three to five, depending on the situation, is when you're going to see that that thing kind of teeter out. In some mountain areas, it could be longer; it could be seven years. You know, I I had one pastor tell me he said I was most effective at year ten. That was probably the point when the when the seesaw tipped with the new berries. You know what I mean? And that's when he said he became the most effective. But he also did a lot of work with the older berries to to love them and to you know, basically kind of serve them in, in very, very different capacities and, and be a help to them. You cannot write off the old berries and just say, ah, whatever, you know, you've got to, and there's still people, I mean, there, you got to love them. Jesus loves them and you got to love them the way Jesus wants you to. So. So, so we're talking about this from a pastoral perspective, but, but for those who maybe aren't in a pastoral position, why does this apply? Where, where do they, how do they use this information? Where do, where does it sort of hit the ground or, or where does rubber meet the road for the person, maybe not on staff at a church when it comes to this concept? So if you're a layman listening to this and you're thinking, well, you can probably map out in the last pastorate when the, when the seesaw leveled out, the buckets teetered, and then they probably shifted back to old berries. Um, nobody really likes conflict. Okay. You know, in churches and, you know, the Bible calls, you know, we're called sheep several passages in scripture say that you know those that are part of the body were, were his sheep he is our shepherd and sheep by their very nature act sheepish isn't that a shocker that's like today's line right sheep act sheep <laughs> never would have guessed so uh you know what's going on with that well usually flocks of sheep don't like for the flock to be disturbed i don't know if you've ever been on a sheep farm or whatever but whenever the sheep get disturbed by uh 
a predator or by a snake or something like that, they all kind of flip out. This is normative in churches, right? So, you know, you just need to kind of hang in there. And if you're, if you find yourself, you know, which bucket you're in, if you're an old berry, then you need to be a more encouraging older berry, you know, move, move one bucket over towards the middle. Uh, you know what I mean? And be a little bit more of an encourager there. If you're a new berry, you need to have a little patience and understanding as your pastor is working with both sides of the teeter totter. And he's trying to get this thing to balance out in such a way that there's minimal amount of damage and hurt feelings. Cause at the end of the day, one side of these buckets is probably going to get their feelings hurt at some point. He just has to make a decision on which side the feelings are going to get hurt. Unfortunately, it's kind of the way it works out because no man can please everybody. You know what I mean? It's just not possible. I know it's kind of crazy, but maybe you, Neil, but the rest of us <laughs> who, live, who live here in the real world, we, we struggle. We struggle with such things. That'll probably be our next podcast. So how to make it fight that you happy. Uh, and it's not an intentional thing, but, you know, I think setting our focus and our sights on the great commission and the great commandments uh, and trying your best to unify people around that, as scripture says in Ephesians and in other places that um, that's, that's your best hope for the future of the church. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think sometimes it's, it's a matter of recognizing that, that it, and this is hard as a pastor and a leader, because I, I I'm thinking about this and in our own, our own church culture right now we're, we're right at that point of annual reviews and and those are always hard for me partially because I don't always remember what's going on the last year but then partially because you look back at some of the things you stated as goals for the year and if you you haven't met those for whatever reasons you begin to say hey am I am I succeeding at the task that I've been given here at the church and I I think sometimes that you know accomplishing the task can become so important to us that we don't remember or or we're not mindful of people in, in the various places they're at within our church culture and hierarchy you know how ready they are for this change and and there's probably some points where where you can slow down on a change process in order to help all these different berry buckets find some balance out and and maybe not not entirely but maybe eliminate some of the conflict you're, you're going to experience so like you're saying the more mindful you are of of the different buckets that people fall into and how you can minister to each of them the, the the easier it is to love the people and not get so caught up in the project or agenda that we end up hurting the people that we've been called to shepherd. So, so having an awareness, a mindset like that, I mean, to even ask like, where do these people sit and how is this change impacting them can be very helpful pastorally or as a lay person to know how to be sensitive to what they're going through. Right? I, I, you know, it's, it's, it can be a grievous thing. And, and, and when people have invested heavily and love what's going on in the church, it can be pretty hard. When, when some of those things are changing. What do you, what do you think, Travis? I, I agree a hundred percent with all you said. I would just add to that and say this too. Um, you know, this, a pastor in the church is a bit like uh, a marriage. You know, you, you know, when a couple gets married, they're in love, you know, and it's wonderful and there's dirty dishes in the sink but one of us will get to it you know it's like yeah the little things don't matter as much but as time goes on as neil shows me his sink in the back of the camera view as time goes on you know there's little pinches that come you know and uh the one side the the older berries get pinched if there's not enough time spent with them you know, in, in a sort of chaplaincy capacity and the new berries get pinched because there's not enough leadership. Well, you're the pastor. You should just be able to make decisions and do and go and whatever. And, um, it's sometimes hard 
for them to understand and see that we still need to work with and be thankful for uh, the work that those who were here before us have done, because this is the reality of every church. If Unless you're planting a church, but this is really not a podcast about church planting. This is a podcast about revitalization and, and forming culture in a church. If you're coming into a church, even in an unhealthy church or an unhealthy situation, you're coming in off the backs of the work and the dedication of those who came before. And so understanding that is critical for moving forward. We have to have a way to, to, you know, it's, it's a kind of a both and, and when you're in revitalization, you got to have a way to love the past and be thankful for it. And at the same time, dream a dream and see a future. And, you know, sometimes if we get too hung up on one side or the other, uh, we'll, we will, we will enter into conflict unnecessarily too quickly and, and sometimes burn bridges that are not necessary. Yeah, I, I think that can be real easy, easy to do. And, and so I, I think it's, it's definitely a big deal. And, and, and I love what you said there in terms of recognizing what people have invested in a church, how, how, how significant it is to them. You, you, you think about, you think about all of the old Barry, so to speak, um, who, who struggle as churches uh, introduce new music. And, and, and we, we don't think much of it because we tend to enjoy the newer stuff. We tend to like what's being introduced. And as pastors, we're often at least partially behind it. But, but it, it's just like, you know, when, when we're in a car and, and someone puts on a radio station, it could be the best type of that music. And yet it can still be hard to listen to when it's not sort of what we're comfortable with. And that's, that's a minor change in the grand scheme of things to, in terms of what could be introduced in a church. And yet, yet the faithful older brothers and sisters who come Sunday after Sunday and say, hey, this part of the worship service can be hard, but we're so thankful that by doing this, we're drawing in new berries, we're drawing in new people. I really appreciate that. I can remember we, uh, we at one point, uh, when I was a youth pastor in Louisville, we had a, had a pretty hard rock uh, Christian group come and do a concert in our sanctuary. And I can remember I was sitting up on the front row and I was getting nervous about how much the kids were jumping around and you got, you know, obviously the stage and the equipment on the stage right there. And, and I'm starting to get nervous. At one point I had to reach over and tip up, well, catch and tip back up one of the monitors that had gotten knocked over as kids were kind of bumping into each other and having a good time. Well, we'll follow in the concert uh, an, an old Barry from the church who, who honestly, again, was probably about the age I am now at the time came up and he said, Neil, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't really like that type of music. And personally, I'm not comfortable with that being done in the sanctuary. And, I, and I'm thinking, here we go. Here, here comes the, you know, the, the, the kind of challenge to what we're doing and, and trying something new. And then he said, but I'm so glad we're doing that. And, and, and it's what these students enjoy. And I thought, you know, praise God for an attitude like that, that, that is invested, has been there longer than me, is uncomfortable with the change, but, but sees the value in these you know, young people in this case that it's drawing in and, and making more comfortable. So I'm thankful uh, for those who, who are able to do that. Cause I know personally, it's not easy uh, to handle change. And, and yet when, when, when the saints of the church do it, it's, it's definitely to the glory of God and the good of the church. I agree. And, you know, we don't really have time at this point. We probably got about seven minutes left, but obviously, you know, there are situations where there can be toxic you know, older berries, and there can be uh, situations that come up where they're just kind of in a mentality of us four and no more. And, uh, you know, they, they just hired you to be their chaplain. 
and to hold their hand and, and be, and just basically until they die. And then they don't really have a, a kingdom mindset there. So, so anyway, I, I am thankful you shared that story. Uh, by the way, was that when you were serving in Louisville in the Louisville area, that story, is that what that's from? Yeah. Sorry, I had my mute on. That was in Louisville at, at the old J-Town Baptist Church. Oh, okay, I didn't, I didn't know that. And you guys had, uh, I mean, I, I was always curious. Of course, they did a unique ministry there called Uptown whenever yes. you were there. I don't know if they still do it or not. but Oh, no, Uptown is long gone. Uh, but you drew quite a bit of kids, I think, to the church on Friday nights. And you saw some fruit from that in the ministry, right? Some did come we- in. You know, to your point about, you know, longer stories for another day, we had, I mean, there was so much fruit and the way that I got put within that church leadership structure, it was perfect for me relationally to build relationships with students. But that, they had about a thousand kids come through in a year that would register and come to Uptown. Of that thousand, 600 on our registration form would put that they weren't affiliated with the local church. So 600 unchurched kids coming in throughout the year, that's over the course of a whole year on Friday nights. And, and we got to hang out with them, get to know them and welcome them. So, yeah, it was it was it was not normal in, in terms of what churches do. It wasn't even something I was, again, crazily comfortable with. But at the same time, it, it was it was great for making connections with young people. I just wonder whenever your predecessor because your predecessor introduced to that at that church. Yeah. I wonder how that went on the berry bucket, you know, which way they teetered, you know what I mean? Or if it was a lot of conflict surrounding that, or if they were pretty accepting, did they, did you ever hear either way? You know, by the time I was there, you didn't hear a lot of those stories. Cause you know how that goes that, that with the right person. And I think the guy, his, his name was Daryl and he pastored in the community after uh, at another church after he was at, at J town. But, but I think Daryl was, was good with people. And by the time I got there, it was a success. And so you know how that is. Those, those old berries are real proud of what they're doing. All the berries mm-hmm. are proud of what they're doing to reach young people. So it was a point of, of pride or, 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 or almost bragging about on themselves by the time I got there. And, and so, no, I didn't hear a lot about the conflict if there was any. But I will say Daryl, my predecessor at that church, was, was probably pretty good at navigating those conflicts and, and, and working alongside of those who had questions about it. Yeah. So uh, I think the kind of big takeaway today here from the berry buckets is that one, we need to understand conflict is coming Two, kind of see where the people are, understand you've got to have, you've got to work with the, the older berries and both those buckets on that side. You need to love them as Christ wants you to love them and you need to be patient with them. And remember, they're trying to do the same thing with you. And then on the other side of the bucket, you know, you may have to tell them, look, we just going to have to have a little more time here. Uh, you know, one of the things that I like to do to help my older berries, particularly those that have been there and they're invested, is uh, a lot of times if I'm introducing a new leadership initiative and I haven't had ample time to get around in every living room like I want to, uh, I'll get up there and say, okay, We've, we're going to introduce this tonight, but we're not going to vote on it. We're just going to take this in and spend the season of prayer. You know, I'll say one month, three months, whatever. And uh, we'll come back and revisit it. And then we wait that amount of time. Then I bring it back up. It's okay. This is not new. What we're going to talk about here tonight, uh, you know, like for a deacon plan or whatever. Now I'd like to go ahead and vote on this tonight. You've had three months to digest it and pray about it and ask questions. 
But is there anybody here that would like to delay that and spend just a little more time in prayer thinking about this? And then somebody will either raise their hand or they won't, and we'll, we'll move through with it. And you can see what that does right now. Yes. That is. How, how often do you think you pause some of those things and give it a little more time? More time, you know, several of my lay leaders that I would put almost in the um, new bucket or in the others, I think it frustrates them sometimes. Like, man, I can't believe so and so wanted more time. I was like, well, it's okay. We'll give them the time that they need. You know what I mean? And uh, I would say probably about half the time. You know what I mean? That it's happened several times, and and that's okay. But then whenever it's time to actually vote and move forward, guess what you get on the other side? You get a lot more. Much support. more unity i would guess yeah much more unity and so it's it's worth pumping the brakes over if you can bring more people along now keep in mind there's going to be some things that you're just not going to get everybody to go along with and at that point you may just be looking at toleration from the old berries you know you're not necessarily looking for affirmation and joy over it uh Mm -hmm. but you know if they're seeing fruit come from it they'll probably come around in the future but don't expect that right up front or even a few Mm -hmm. years into it yeah and and i just i really appreciate what you said throughout the the podcast in in terms of, of valuing and loving uh all all people god has drawn into your church regardless of what bucket they may fall into so it's never an issue of identifying the good berries and the bad berries it's an issue of recognizing where people are at and and what it's like to shepherd lead and care for them uh, because that's our task and 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 would you say is it fair to say that you know as important as, as many of the new initiatives we introduce are and and as helpful as they can be to our our mandate and mission as as a local church and the people of God, most of them are not, um, mo- the, the mission of God is not entirely dependent on most of the, or, or probably almost all of the initiatives or new ideas we introduce to a church. So in other words, even if initiative, an initiative or an idea doesn't get approved, it doesn't mean we can't continue about the work God has given us. Is that, is that a fair statement that we sometimes lose track of? Yeah, I would say many of them, but there are some that are kind of make or break for your leadership. You know, every now and then there comes one along, like, for example, I was in a church once where we were trying to merge two churches together. And uh, you can actually go back in our podcast history and find it. It's, I think we titled it living through a church split part one and two, me and Matthew Jacobs did those. Well, I had been all my tokens on that you know i mean there wasn't really i don't think anybody was going to follow after that failed and so every now and then you may have spent too much you know what i mean and and so but i would say those are not as common you know most of the time when you're talking about church revitalization particularly here in the mountains you're talking about incremental changes okay uh i i just recently got off the phone with someone who is at a church that i'm kind of helping a little bit lead with and he said you know there's a member there he's just adamantly against any kind of a digital means of communicating the words to songs or scripture so like no tvs no projectors none of that you know and so that's not a make or break situation. You know what I mean? That's just yeah. kind of a, whatever. Uh, one that we have here at my church recently, we, we bought a piece of property that's adjacent to us and it has a in-ground swimming pool. Okay. And so we had to do something with it. We either had to open it or fill it in. And I quite honestly didn't know which way to go on it. You know, I could see the value of it for the, the next generational ministry, children, youth, so I said, well, all I know to tell the church is hot, hot days in the office. That's right. Float around <laughs> out there and think about Dr. Luke's messages, you know, and how you're going <laughs> to preach it. Uh, I, I tell you, all we can do is open it up, 
and try it for a year and see if we like it. And if we don't like it, then let's just fill it in. But you can't unfill in a pool after you filled it in, you know. I hear you. Pretty much done. And One so, scoop at a time, right? Right. And so <laughs> and there were people that were against it. Now, we, we went a little faster with that because there's only so many weeks of trial you can do in a summer, you know, here in East Tennessee. And it's even more narrow in Wisconsin, isn't it? I mean, there's even oh, yeah. cool weather there. And yes. so, uh, you know, so we went ahead with that one. And there were a few that were kind of, you know, didn't like it. And they stated that. And, and some of the points they made, I was like, you might be right about that, you know? <laughs> yes. But, uh, but I think that, you know, being gracious with them and being honest with people and having honest conversations is, is critical too. So. I think that's a great word. And, and, and again, I, I thank you, Travis, for your insight. Cause, cause again, I'm, I'm, I'm not at this point in my ministry in a lead role and, and you, you've been in a lead role um, at two different churches uh, exclusively, and then and then your middle church in there, you were part of kind of a team of leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you you work through change in, in every environment you've been in. So so you've got a lot of experience with this, and obviously uh, that some of the training and education behind revitalization is going to address as well. So thanks thanks for sharing a little bit more about this. I, yeah, I, this has got to be helpful for pastors who are entering into uh, churches that may or maybe they've been there a while. And they're wondering what in the world is happening when they thought things were going so well. And suddenly they're, you know, they're hitting all kinds of roadblocks in, in some of what they're trying to lead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, to me, I'll be honest, you know, when I, when I took my first pastorate position, I don't, I don't even know if you're counting this one, but I was even at this little country church up in Bedford. Yeah. You know that? So this I is do actually, remember that. I was, I was at your ordination at that That's church. right. So I, I've been a senior pastor. Now that was a little big church. You know what I mean? But uh-huh. I've been a senior pastor in Kentucky, Indiana, and Tennessee now. And uh, so it's been all about, you know, it's been all about kind of changing culture, but hopefully changing it to be more reflective of the Great Commission, the Great Commandments, you know what I mean? And so, and and having that sort of outward orientation and uh, all my churches I have served, even the ones that were tough, um, there have been joys in that, but there have always have been difficulties. And, uh, and if you're listening to this pastor, I would say my first pastorate was like this. It was like a field full of landmines. You know what I mean? You're dancing uh-huh. blindfolded in a, in a field full of landmines. And uh, you just didn't know what was going to set people off. And, uh, you know, when I, when I came across the berry bucket theory and started learning about those dynamics, man, it was real helpful for me to start being able to detect some of those things ahead of time. And, you know, you're not going to be able, you know, you're not going to be able to reach everybody in the old bucket berry. You know, some of them are going to get there and you're going to preach and, they're not going to care for your preaching style. They're not going to care for how you're leading. They're not going to care for X, Y, or Z. And they're going to move on. But man, I'm going to tell you something. Those old berries that stay and they back you, dude, I'm telling you, you're not going to find a greater love on the planet than some of those folks that do that. You know, I, okay. I really, I really believe that because at, at a certain point, you know, I've been at the church I've been at now for, I think I'm going on eight years and uh, you, you start turning into an old berry yourself after a while. <laughs> So anyway, well, yeah, look around and see what bucket you're sitting in. Yeah, <laughs> Which bucket are you in now? Right. So uh, I'm moving over. So anyway, uh, but yeah, that there's a, there's a nice level of commitment that I, I do have for that. And I, and I appreciate the newberries. I didn't spend as much time talking about them, but you know, there, there's a real temptation to just kind of spend your time with them because a lot of times they're very encouraging. You know, they don't have as many negative things to say, and, uh, you know, it's just real encouraging to, to, to be around them and to hear their heart and to understand them better. Uh, but, uh, but you can't do one at the neglect of the other. So, yes. 
Great word, great word. Don't you think some of those new berries, they'll come into a new church and, and especially those who maybe were, were saved at the previous church or experienced a significant level of community. I think that's where some of them struggle when they come in and your church isn't like their old church. Yeah, it's, so, and it, we all love what we're familiar with, man. There's a yeah. reason that Cracker Barrel is still in business, right? I mean, yes. people are familiar with that kind of country cooking food here in the South and it's sort of a comfort thing. And a lot of times folks just try to sort of conform the church or want to see the church be what it was in its glory days. If you're an old Barry or what the church they came from was in its glory. And the reality is the church can't exactly be either one. Can it, it must be something unique and different, same mission, same call, but it's probably going to look a little different than either one of those scenarios. So, yes. All right. Well, I guess we got to land the plane, brother. I think we went over a little bit. Any, any yeah. final words of encouragement or, or closing thoughts? Nope. nope. I, I shared mine already and just appreciate some of your insight you've brought to the table today. I appreciate you. Join us next time here. We're, we're planning a preaching series again here because we love preaching here and uh, we're doing a little bit of reading research. I'm getting excited about that preaching series, Neil. How about you? I know you love preaching and have oh. you thought about doing a D-Men and preaching, haven't you? Yes, I, I definitely have. And, and now I'm fighting between preaching and counseling in my head on, on what I might like to pursue, but, uh, but definitely love to read about preaching, love to think about it, talk about it. And I love to preach. So, so it's going to be a great, great opportunity for us. We need to do a podcast on how counseling training helps your preaching because what yes. the other one that we and you have had these conversations before, but getting, getting right. into the kitchen where people live, that might be another podcast right. for another day. So yes, till next time. You have been listening to the Appalachian Baptist Network. Thanks for joining us. If you have a question or comment for our host, please send an email to Network at gmail.com or send us a voice message on our Anchor website page at anchor.fm slash Appalachian dash Baptist dash network. Join us again next Monday.